This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Okay, this episode is going to drop like right before Halloween. Do you know what that means? It's spooky. It's spooky. It's our one year anniversary <gasps> of the podcast. Oh my gosh. It's also my half birthday. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's true. It is your half birthday. This time last year, we released our first three episodes where they promised to each other that if we were just embarrassingly bad at this, we would quit. But it has been <laughs> so much fun. I've had so much fun this year with you. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Except for a whole one year. I've been listening to stories for a whole year. A whole year. How long? Are we going to be doing this five years from now? We're still going to call you the true crime newbie? Definitely not. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. No, we will still be doing this. Yeah, we're going to – I'm going to have to come up with something else. And we'll have to come up with some the true crime – Intermediate. Intermediate. Know-it-all. Intermediate. I'm going to be a know-it-all soon. <laughs> the true crime know-it-all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. That'll happen. And then people will say, like, we listened to them when she was a newbie, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the hipsters will come out. <laughs> Do y'all remember when Mogab was the newbie and still sent out cards with wax seals on them? <laughs> okay, I've been thinking a lot about that. It's been keeping me up at night, and I'm committing to sticking with it. Okay. Will I maybe have to get interns? <laughs> and by interns, I mean my boyfriend and my dog. <laughs> Possibly. But I think I'm going to stick with it for now. Ah. Uh. Fantastic. Okay. All right. You heard it here first. People listening <laughs> yeah. to this in three years that are like, where's my wax seal? <laughs> like, oh, she cut that. I'm really in shock. I played all of the ways I was going to get out of this. Like, <laughs> I thought, like, I've got to get out of this. I've got to get out of this. Um, and here I am. And here oh you gosh. are. And here all of these, like, people are coming along this journey yeah. with us. So thank you, all of our listeners, for coming on this crazy ride with us and supporting us. We just love everybody. Yeah, we do. And that's saying something, because I don't love just everybody. Right. Yeah. No. You got to earn it. <laughs> I know. All right. Uh, speaking of our Patreon, Mogab, we have one. Yes. And at the $5 level, we now have how many bonus episodes? 
Okay, why did you ask me that? Because this whole time I've been doing research to tell the people what they get, and now you just asked me something I don't know. I'm holding up two fingers. We have more than that. No, we don't. We have two bonus episodes. Oh, bonus episodes. Sorry. <laughs> Damn it. I was thinking of mini creeps. I've been practicing. At the $5 level, you get a monthly bonus episode. We have two up right now. Yes. Am I doing good so, so far? So good. So proud of you. Okay. And then at the $7 level, you get those bonus episodes and you also get our mini creeps. There's a couple each month. And you get a note card signed by Kristen and I with a cute Creepers logo decal. And then at the $10 level, you get all of that plus 20% off merch because you changed it. I did. I <laughs> Look did. at me. Yeah. Trying to really throw me. But the good news is if you sign up and you get a shout out at all the levels, we'll shout you out on the pod if you sign up. But if you sign up now, you still get access to all those mini creeps and bonus episodes. You don't only get the stuff like from right when you sign up. The whole back catalog. You got so much fun stuff to catch up on. Uh, You should also check out our Patreon because there might be some good – actually, no, never mind. I was trying to think if I still had them. I was going to say there might be some good – throwback Halloween photos of us in costume, but I don't know that I know where those are. I have them. Oh, good. (laughs) No, wait, not of you and I. No, not college (laughs) ones. Good God. Uh, Are you kidding? First of all, that would be on an OnlyFans, (laughs) not a Patreon. And I was thinking of like little (laughs) – oh, my God. Oh, whatever. It's not our fault we were hot, Mogab. (laughs) <laughs> this will never surface. Okay. Okay. Sign up. That'll be fun. And you can find that link in our show notes on our Instagram. Lots of places. That link is there. It's there. All right. Patreon.com slash True Crime Creepers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creepers. So when we first started this podcast, we launched it two days before Halloween, October 29th. And so I knew exactly what case I was going to do for the next Halloween because we couldn't do it last year for Halloween. And I knew which case I wanted to do for this year. Oh, no. Do I know what it is? Well, it is a local case, 
So probably not, though. This week, I'm telling you about the man who ruined Halloween. And like I said, it's a hometown case for us. This one took place. Is this part of your series? It's not not part of my series. It's not the women of Clear Lake who snapped. It could be an offshoot, you know? Yeah, exactly. This one took place right kind of in the middle of where both of us grew up in a suburb of Houston called Deer Park. Uh, first of all, don't you dare associate me. (laughs) Also, do you know that Russell's favorite way to troll me is to tell me that he's a Deer Park booster? Because, I mean, you know the rivalry is like. (laughs) No. So deep. Wait, you don't know about Deer Park? Wait, what do you mean? Yes, you do. Deer Park and LaPorte. Oh, I'm about to get real fired up. Like, my heart is like, I'm mad about this. (laughs) Okay. Everyone local is screaming at you. You have to know about Deer Park and LaPorte. All right. I'll take your word for it. Do you? Look. You really don't know. You know my intense love of football and all things football. So I didn't know that UT and Oklahoma were the real rivals until like. Oh, my God. I don't know. I was in middle school and my dad is like crazy over that. All right. Mr. Williams, (laughs) if at any time you want to just, you know, adopt me and. Cast Kristen away into the night. It's fine. We could be real sisters. Fine. <laughs> uh, we already are. That's true. All right. Oh my gosh! What Deer Park? Yeah. Did you know Deer Park is the one the one to blame for ruining Halloween? So added well, to your and among reasons. other things, <laughs> rest all the time. I'm a Deer Park booster. I'm like, stop it! <laughs> it's That's so hilarious. Bad. Oh, yeah. Sometimes, too, like, he'll get a, a number, like, you know, one of those, like, spam calls. And he's like, oh, hold on. Uh, Deer Park is calling me for a donation. I'm like, stop it. Stop. I hate them. Go dogs. Well, it was a rainy Halloween in 1974 in Deer Park, Texas. That's before my time, in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> but that didn't stop the festivities from happening. Kids were running around their neighborhoods, dressed in their Halloween best, knocking on doors and collecting their candy, while their parents waited on the curb for them to come back with their loot. Were they trick-or-treating on October 31st, like actual Halloween? Yes. Okay. I'm glad you said it just like that, because I've never heard of this until I moved. But cities, like not in Texas, I've truly never heard of this until I moved, everywhere else does this. They dictate like a day for trick-or-treating. That's not the 31st. I I don't understand. Like I still can't like wrap my head like around it. Like they pick like Saturday or something? Like this, so yeah. Like the city night. says like, I guess, which really sounds like a dream because nothing is worse than teaching the day after Halloween. But they like choose a day. And I'm like, but that's not Halloween. And like I, <laughs> I don't get it. They're like, oh, everyone's trick-or-treating on the 26th. And sometimes it's not a weekend though. Because I asked him like, how do you know? Like is there like some – notice like how do you know what day and they're like oh we just know i'm like but it changes every year so if you live not in texas and this is something you're familiar with would you please explain it to me what i i swear we trick-or-treat on the 31st that is exactly you go trick-or-treating on halloween my i know and then don't get me started i've had a I've had a lot also of conversations with, like, Russell, someone, like, growing up where it's cold, like, really cold and uh-huh. trick-or-treating, and it completely changes their Halloween costume. Right, yeah. He's like – Got to keep that in th- mind. Someone was like a mermaid, but they had, like, a long sleeve shirt on underneath it. Right. And I was like, I, I don't get this. 
So, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you've trick-or-treated not on the 31st, answer for your crimes to me. Yes. To me specifically. I need to know. All right. Ronald O'Brien and his friend Jimmy Bates had decided to take their kids out trick-or-treating together in Jimmy's neighborhood. The O'Briens used to live in the same neighborhood as the Bates, but they'd recently moved into a townhouse. So they decided that they'd come over for dinner at the Bates' house that night, and then they'd all go trick-or-treating in the Bates' neighborhood afterwards. What neighborhood? Where? Where is it? I don't know. Some sources said Pasadena. Oh, well. But I'm pretty sure it was Deer Park. So that Halloween night, Ronald came over to Jimmy's with his wife, Danine, and their two kids, eight-year-old Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth. And they had dinner with Jimmy and his two kids, who are not named, could not find any names for the Bates children. By the time they were done with dinner, it had already started to rain, which meant a change of plans for trick-or-treating. They decided to limit the trick-or-treating to just a few streets because of the rain. And one of the Bates kids decided not to go and stayed home. So it was only Timothy and Elizabeth O'Brien, and then the one other Bates child that went with Jimmy and Ronald. Mm, Okay. I could have used a flow chart here, but... I kind of made you one, but honestly, it wouldn't be helpful. Oh, oh, because the others were. (laughs) (laughs) Despite the rain and the limited streets, the kids were having a great time. Jimmy and Ronald had even worked out a plan for trick-or-treating. Jimmy would wait on the sidewalk while Ronald brought the kids up to the door to ask for their treats. And the plan was working great. The kids were getting lots of candy. Everything was coming up Halloween. Now, there's really only one rule for trick-or-treating. If the house's lights are off, you don't go there, right? You don't go. Either they're not home or they don't have candy. Either way, it's just a big waste of time. There's usually plenty of houses in the neighborhoods that are participating, so it's not a big deal to skip a few when their lights are dark. But Mm -hmm. because of the rain... And because they were limited on the houses to try, the kids were not willing to skip a possible source of more candy. I was, like, not even allowed to go up to the houses with the lights off, I think. Mm -mm. That was, like, kind of a rule. Like, don't disturb. Right. Exactly. That's generally how you do it. But when these guys got to a house that was dark, they decided to try it out anyway. As with all the other houses, Jimmy waited on the curb while Ronald walked the three kids to the door. They banged on the door a few times, but when there was no answer, the kids saw it as a lost cause and they ran off to try the next house. Jimmy followed the kids, but Ronald kind of lagged behind. He thought he heard someone in the house. Maybe if he tried one more time, he could get the darkened house to answer. Oh, Ronald, come on. I know. When he finally got back to the group, though, he told them they were all in luck. Someone actually had been in the house, probably just not realizing they'd forgotten to switch their light on. And he told Jimmy he must have some rich neighbors because they were handing out the expensive treats. Uh, full-size candy bars? Better. He pulled out five giant pixie sticks. Like, those ones that are like two <gasps> feet long. Wait! Is this why we... I feel like I know what happens here. I feel like this is why my mom then went through all of my candy. <laughs> this is the man who ruined Halloween. <laughs> this is a thing. Yes. I feel like she used that as an excuse, but because all, all the Reese's <laughs> seem to, but. And for those poor souls not in the know, these pixie sticks are literally just tubes full of sugar. Powdered sugar. Colored powdered sugar. Yes. It's like the Kool-Aid mix. It's like the Kool-Aid powder. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Ronald gave each kid a pixie stick, and Jimmy also took an extra one for his other child that wasn't there that had stayed back home. And there was still one pixie stick left, and Ronald looked around for someone to give it to, and he saw this 10-year-old boy he knew from church walk by. Ronald was a deacon at the church, and he sang in the choir. 
And so he knew this boy from church, and he passed the final pixie stick along to him. At the end of the night, the O'Briens parted ways from Jimmy and his child. Ronald's wife, Danine, went to a friend's house while Ronald took Timothy and Elizabeth home to check out that night's haul. Shouts to the dads for being on trick-or-treat duty. Yeah, especially this one. (laughs) Ronald told the kids they could each choose one piece of candy before bed. And Timothy wanted a sucker, but Ronald was like, we don't have time to eat a whole sucker. Yeah. <laughs> Get a piece of candy before bed. It was already too late. So he told him to, to try the pixie stick. You could have that fast. That kid knew what he was doing, too. No kidding. <laughs> so Ronald opened one side of the tube for him, and Timothy took it, and he turned it back to eat it. But after getting one gulp of the sugar, the rest seemed to be kind of stuck inside the tube. So Ronald took it, and he rolled it between his hands to loosen it up a bit. And then he gave it back to Timothy. But Timothy said it tasted terrible. He said it was, like, really bitter. And so Ronald went and got him a glass of Kool-Aid to get rid of the taste. But almost immediately after drinking the Kool-Aid, Timothy ran to the bathroom and started vomiting. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Like, that soon after. Immediately. Ronald ran in after him and held Timothy up around the waist while he vomited continuously into the tub until he started going into convulsions. Oh, my God. Ronald called for an ambulance who rushed Timothy to the hospital, but there was nothing they could do. Wait, what? Less than an hour after Timothy ate the pixie stick, he had died. Oh my God. I know. The police were called, and it turned out that a former prosecutor for Harris County, Mike Hinton, just so happened to be working intake that night. And when he heard about this strange death of an eight-year-old, he wanted to get on it right away. He called the chief medical examiner of Harris County, who I will call Dr. Joseph, because there is no way that I will be able to pronounce his name. So did you just make up the name Joseph? That's his first name. Oh. (laughs) Hinton told Dr. Joseph about the situation, and the doctor asked what the boy's breath smelled like. Hinton put a call into the morgue, and they said his breath smelled like almonds. And immediately, Dr. Joseph Are you saying almonds like the nut? Because here we go again. You mean almonds? Like the nut? Hey, you said ailments. <laughs> I said almonds. No, you did not. You know you did not. I did too. I Everybody, said his breath for her smelled neck. like almonds. What did you think I said? Almonds? You it was not it was less almonds, but it definitely wasn't almonds. Almonds. You better not no, you better not cut this and people better come for her because she's making me feel crazy. <laughs> I said almonds. Okay, bitch. Almonds? What did I say? Well, I say almonds, almonds. So if I said it differently, (laughs) that's not how I say it. All right. Anyways, Hinton put a call into the morgue, and they said his breath smelled like almonds. Immediately, Dr. Joseph said, it's cyanide. An autopsy was performed, and it turned out Dr. Joseph was right. Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to kill two grown adults. His stomach contained 16 milligrams of cyanide. What is cyanide even? Like, I know it's poison, but like, what is it? It's like a dust, a powder? It's a powder. Uh Uh-huh. Who just has that? In this form, it was a powder. And a blood test showed the level of cyanide in his blood was 0.4 milligrams. A blood level between 0.2 and 0.3 is fatal in humans. So basically twice the fatal dose. Did it occur to you that... You're going to ruin Halloween by telling this story for people. I'm going to save Halloween by telling this story. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Just wait. 
Detective Bill Lanier had been with the Pasadena Police Department for less than a year when he was assigned to Timothy's case. It was his first murder investigation ever. So he started with interviewing members of the O'Brien family. He started with Ronald O'Brien, who he described as a big guy with a soft voice. Ronald was known as a pillar in the community. As I said, he was the deacon at Second Baptist Church, and he sang in the choir. He worked as an optician. He even wore his lab coat when they'd taken the kids trick-or-treating. Oh, was that his costume? I love that, was that his move. Costume. <laughs> yeah. So Ronald is trying to tell the detectives the events of the night, but he kept saying he was feeling sick and he'd run to the bathroom, but he refused to allow the hospital to treat him. Finally, he was able to tell the detective about the pixie sticks and that they'd come from a home in the Bates's subdivision. He should also be making phone calls to the other people that have the pixie sticks. That's like my first concern. That's like my second, my next sentence almost. But when the pixie sticks were later examined by the medical examiner, they saw that one end of the pixie stick was heat sealed like it was supposed to be, but the other end had been stapled shut. And the company that manufactures the pixie sticks said they have never in their life stapled a pixie stick shut. They are always heat sealed on both ends. Ronald also told detectives that Timothy's wasn't the only pixie stick. He said there were four others that he knew of out there. So Lanier quickly got a few other Pasadena detectives and they rushed over to the Bates house to get the pixie sticks from those kids. No problem. They hadn't even touched them yet. But they also had to go get the one given to that kid from church, whose name was actually Whitney Parker. So they were able to track him down and they told his parents about the poisoned candy. And so his parents go to his Halloween sack, like his candy sack, and they're looking for the pixie stick, but it's two feet long. I mean, you can't miss it. And they do not see it with the rest of his stash. And they are panicking. They run upstairs to find Whitney asleep in his bed with his hand clutched around the pixie stick. (gasps) He'd fallen asleep after he couldn't get the pixie stick open. He hadn't been able to undo the staples. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they've recovered all the pixie sticks now. Everybody's fine except for Timothy. So they examined the pixie stick that Timothy had eaten from, and they realized He'd eaten four inches of the candy. And when they tested his pixie stick, there was no cyanide in it. But when they tested the other four recovered pixie sticks, they saw that there was a fatal dose of cyanide in the top two inches of the pixie stick. So the person like dumped it, pixie stick out, and then added cyanide. Yeah, they like dumped out the top two inches and replaced it with cyanide. And that's like all Timothy had that and like two inches of the sugar. Oh my God. Once they'd made sure that all known pixie sticks had been accounted for, their next step was to find the maniac who had decided it was a good idea to pass out cyanide-laced pixie sticks to little kids trick-or-treating on Halloween. Oh, he knew it wasn't a good idea. He knew what he was doing. I don't know who you're picturing, but I'm obviously picturing Winifred Sanderson. Uh, I take offense to that and (laughs) am not picturing her. (laughs) I smell children. They took Ronald back to the neighborhood he and the kids had been trick-or-treating in so that he could show them the house that he'd gotten the pixie sticks at. But when they got to the neighborhood, he could not for the life of him remember which house it was, even though it could only have been on one of two streets. So they asked him for a description of the person, and Ronald said he'd never actually seen their face. They just kind of stuck their arm out of the door and handed him the candy. He said it was a hairy arm. I, for the life of me, can't figure out. I've been trying for five minutes to spell cyanide to Google it. 
<laughs> I cannot. C-Y-A-N-I-D. Oh. Now, pay attention. Don't do anything that's going to spoil anything. I'm not. I just was trying to look at, like, the powder. My God. Why? Why, MoGab? Why do I want to see what it looks like? Yes. I'm trying to see if I can get on Amazon. You <laughs> cannot get cyanide on Amazon. <laughs> Drink your Trulies. The police were frustrated. This pixie stick-wielding madman had already killed one child and could have easily killed more, except the others got lucky. So they started putting more pressure on Ronald until finally his memory seemed to return. He was able to give a general description of the person, and he was able to point out the house where he'd gotten the poisoned candy. So police looked up the house Ronald had pointed out to figure out who lived there, and they saw that it was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin and his wife. And I couldn't find a whole lot of details about this one incident, but according to the court documents, at one point, Ronald saw Courtney standing in a crowd, and he told police that he was almost positive that he was the person that had given him the candy. I thought he didn't see his face. I guess he recognized his hairy arm. I don't know. Now he's saying he might have seen a glimpse and could describe him a little bit, like a general description. So police looked into Courtney Melvin, and they discovered that he worked at Hobby Airport. Oh, yes, familiar. Our local little airport. Triumphantly, police went to the airport. They found the man. They arrested him in front of all of his colleagues. But the case against Courtney Melvin completely fell apart when they started interviewing him, and they realized that he had an ironclad alibi. Was he working? He was a supervisor at the airport. He left his house at 1.30 that afternoon to go to work, and he'd worked until 10.30. There were more than 200 people, and I can't imagine how many cameras. Well, I guess it's 1974, so maybe not. But yeah. there were more than 200 people that could vouch for him that he'd been at work. I mean, you kind of can't get more slam dunk alibi than 200 people. Yeah. He hadn't gotten home until around 10.45, and his wife and daughter, who had been home all night, they said there hadn't been any trick-or-treaters after 10.45 when Courtney got home, which, I mean, God, I should hope not. Right. They said they'd been passing out candy until they ran out around 6.45. Mrs. Melvin, who for the life of me could not find her name, so mm -hmm. Mrs. Melvin, <laughs> said she did not see Ronald or Jimmy or any of the kids that they were with, and they definitely weren't handing out giant cyanide-laced pixie sticks. Yeah. Police were not able to find a single house on the entire route that Timothy O'Brien trick-or-treated that night passing out pixie sticks, and no other families ever came forward saying they had gotten giant pixie sticks, only the five that Ronald had passed out. Well, and would a house admit, like, I mean... But no other families came forward to say, like, we that also part, got yeah. these, yeah. Yeah. So either Ronald had lied... Or he'd been mistaken. Or he gave the pixie sticks. Either way, police started looking further into him. <sighs> and what they uncovered was really troubling. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. Oh, my God, your face. I've <laughs> never seen your eyes this big. So he worked as an optician. He was taking home about $150 a week, which in today's money would be just under $900. But he'd previously worked in insurance and for a chemical company. Actually, in the past five years, he'd had and lost 21 different jobs. 21 in five years. That's impossible. And I got fired from the Waffle House a lot. I mean, God, what, that's every three months you have a new job? And his current job wanted to fire him for theft. And also, Ronald O'Brien was in a crap ton of debt. 
I said earlier that the family had recently moved into a townhouse. They were renting it because Ronald had sold the family home for $6,000 to cover (gasps) some of his most pressing debts, but he still owed a ton of money to creditors. I'm sorry. How do you sell a house for $6,000? Six thousand dollars in nineteen seventies money. Oh, okay, but still, that doesn't seem right. Oh, oh, oh! I'm sorry. He got like six thousand dollars from the sale, like to put towards his debt. Oh, it made me think of that that episode where you're like, this woman wants to build a house with its own wing for thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> you remember that one with a nanny? With a nanny. <laughs> we were we were upset by that. That's right. Oh, we Diane going. Downs. That yeah. Was Diane Downs. <laughs> That bitch. He, okay, so he still owed a ton of money to creditors, like over $100,000, which adjusted for inflation is like over $550,000 that he's in debt. That's wild. That's more, that's more than me. <laughs> I was going to say, does that make you feel a little better? <laughs> Just to clarify, it's only student loan debt, which is like <laughs> good debt, apparently. Sure. Yeah. In October of 1974, pretty much his entire paycheck was going to rent car payments, and groceries. He was eight months behind on his car payments, which at $150 was an entire week's pay each month. And he'd already been threatened with repossession. I was just about to say, don't they repo that? Side note, his wife knows about none of this debt. He (gasps) has hidden all of it from her. Yeah. Which like, how do you even do that when it gets so bad? That's my question. You just kind of get good at faking it, have charisma, and like, show confidence outwardly, and if you're the one always taking care of the money, you know, they just assume you're taking care of it. Then police find out about the life insurance policies. Mm. 30 days before Halloween, Ronald had purchased a $20,000 life insurance policy on both of his kids, $110,000 today each, which looked even more suspicious when police realized that those policies were in addition to $10,000 policies that he'd had on each of the kids since January. Danine, his wife, she hadn't wanted to get the initial insurance policies. They were ones that you could get for just a few bucks if you signed up with automatic withdrawals at his bank. Mm -hmm. And I truly wonder if it was that promo that gave him the idea to do this. That's terrible. But, But, okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So you can cut this, but, like, why would he give pixie sticks to other kids? I know. Like, you just – because it'd be different if they just had regular pixie sticks and he hadn't done anything to those, but they were cyanide in those, right? All what of them. What about little kid from church? Mm-hmm. I know. I think that's, like, the worst part, honestly. We'll get into it a little bit oh. more, but, yeah. I think that's probably the worst part. Danine had said that they already did, like, about this insurance, oh, this life insurance. My face. She had said that they already didn't have enough money to cover bills. So they shouldn't be adding another bill no matter how small it was, especially on life insurance for two healthy little kids. But he signed up for it anyway. He purchased the additional policies, the 30 days before Halloween policies, without her knowledge. So now he's carrying $60,000 in 1974 money, worth of life insurance on his two kids, but carrying very little life insurance on himself. It's like only his kids have these like massive policies. He hardly has any life insurance on him. The morning after Halloween, at 9 a.m. on November 1st, literally just hours since his son had died, 
Ronald had called the insurance companies to see how he could collect on the policies. Yeah. Uh They told him that he would need a separate death certificate for each separate policy, and Ronald ordered six death certificates. (gasps) Oh, my God. And then came Timothy's funeral. Wait, did he – Timothy had the sister – Elizabeth, yeah, she's fine. Oh. She she was okay. She didn't eat the pixie stick. Ronald had written a song for the funeral about Jesus and about Timothy joining the Lord in heaven. Apparently, this funeral was recorded and was going to be broadcast on television later that night. I don't know if like yeah. this church was just one of those evangelical, you know, churches. But Ronald's family had all gathered at his house after the funeral, and it had been a long, hard day on all of them. Like they're all grieving the loss of Timothy. But Ronald wanted them all to stay up and watch his performance at the funeral. And he got really upset at them when they wouldn't stay and watch it. Okay, I I have nothing to say about this man. (sighs) They also found out that in one of the classes Ronald was taking at the community college, I'm assuming it was San Jack, he asked his professor questions about poison. Like, questions like, was cyanide the most lethal kind of poison? In August of that year... He'd requested that the manager at the vision store that he worked at, he requested that they get cyanide to use in cleaning glasses with gold frames. Apparently, this was really common in like the 50s, but no one had used cyanide in the optical business in like over 20 years at this point. And so it was a really unusual request to make. Yeah, like we're not doing that. Like we're not buying it on Amazon to be cleaning glasses. Get a lens wipe. There's a reason we haven't been using yeah. cyanide to clean glasses in 20 years. Yeah, because you like lick your finger and then you're done. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Saw TikTok. Stop it. This is like the time I got at Waffle House. I have to fill up the salsa and the Tabasco containers, and I never failed every time I touch my eyeball. And I was like, well, every time. Yes, I've been there. There's a trend on TikTok of people like pretending to be a spy. And they're, like, spiking somebody's drink with, like, poison. And they, like, dip their finger in it to swirl it around to, like, mix the drink up. And then they lick their fingers and then they fall (laughs) and die. Yeah, that's what would happen. That's exactly what would happen. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. 
But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. But after three weeks of no cyanide, Ronald put the request in again. But this time they referred him to someone with more authority to approve the request than the store manager and nobody was giving him any cyanide. Yeah. Hello. Police discovered that Ronald had actually developed a very deep interest in cyanide around this time. Ronald had called someone he used to work with at the chemical company, a man named Bobby Terry, which I'm sure is pronounced Bobby Terry. (laughs) Bobby Terry. And told him he was taking a chemistry class at San Jack, which is our local community college, San Jacinto. And he felt like his instructor was not familiar enough with the different types of cyanide. So he was asking Bobby all these questions about it, like the different kinds, how available the chemical is, and how much a fatal dose would be to humans. Bobby Terry, hang up the phone. (laughs) Hang up the phone. He also asked what procedures could be used to detect cyanide in a dead body. Apparently just sniffing the breath. (laughs) Yes. Almonds. (laughs) Almond breath. Smells like almonds. They also found a witness who worked for a chemical company in Houston, and he told police that a man had come in just before Halloween asking about cyanide, but after he was told the smallest amount he could buy was five pounds, he left, which seems like an obscene amount of cyanide for me. Like, yeah, like what? what are you trying to take out with? What, what is its other use? Like, I'm assuming farming and like pest control. I don't know. It's really terrible. Cleaning glasses, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Them specs. The witness couldn't definitively say if that person that came in asking about the cyanide, if that was Ronald, but he did remember the person being dressed similar to a doctor, like in a beige or blue smock, which was Ronald's exact uniform he wore to work as an optician. Hmm. I'm out on Ronald. Yeah. So two weeks before Halloween, he'd bought costumes for the kids and he seemed really excited to take them trick-or-treating even though he'd never been excited about Halloween in any years previously. That should have been our first sign, is this man volunteering to take kids out in the rain Mm -hmm. for trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. On October 23rd, so about a week before Halloween, Ronald had told a credit union – so this is a week before Halloween, okay? Ronald had told a credit union that he was expecting a large sum of money before the end of the year. And he signed an agreement extending his debts to January 1st, 1975. And then right before Halloween, he told his friend, Jimmy Bates, the one that they went trick-or-treating with, 
that he was planning on purchasing a home soon. And they'd talked about prices and availability of houses. And Ronald told Jimmy not to tell his wife. But Ronald's also trying to kill Jimmy's kids, which is my main issue here. Yeah. And I think that's why Jimmy's spilling all that tea on Ronald. Yeah, good. Jimmy also told investigators that Ronald had said to him that he didn't see how they could pin Timothy's death on anybody. What an odd thing to say. What an odd thing to say. Why would somebody say that? But his whole, his behavior is totally weird, too. Like, immediately running – well, I guess we don't know. He could have just said this. But, like, running in when he was throwing up and, like, trying to, like – did it say he tried to, like, revive him or no? He just called 911. No, it just said he, like, grabbed him around the oh. waist to, like, hold him up while he was throwing up. Yeah. yeah. And then know. he called an ambulance. I mean, he called the ambulance right away, but yeah. supposedly. I guess he know. thought someone would believe that, like, he just gave out these pixie yeah. sticks, you know? Exactly. That's ex- He was counting on it. Well, m- my mom's been digging through my candy ever since, so. Yeah. On the very day of Halloween, Ronald had worked that day, and he'd actually had a conversation with a customer about lethal amounts of cyanide. And the customer said they'd seen him earlier in the parking lot carrying a stapler and a bag. And on top of all of that, police discovered that on November 15th, Ronald had told a coworker he was planning on quitting his job at the vision store. They were planning on firing him too, so. Yeah, wow. Police could not believe where the evidence was taking them. But here they were. It was really looking like Ronald had poisoned his own son for the insurance money. Yeah. And as hideous as that was, it almost made it worse that he clearly hadn't cared who else he took out since he was passing the pixie sticks out to all the other kids. Yeah, like why even make more than, I mean, this should never happen, but why even make more than two? I guess to ensure that your kid got one of the deadly ones and to make it look more like this was somebody else. I just can't believe that, like, he'd be willing to take out his own children and other people's children to get, like, money. To get money. And not even enough money to cover his debts. But he's talking about all these big purchases. I heard somewhere that he was talking about going on a vacation. Like, go rob a bank or something. I don't know. Right. This isn't even enough to cover what you owe. It's only You're only getting $60,000 in 1974 money. You owe 100000 yeah, that's not even like I can understand like, oh, okay, I'm going to leave 10,000 so I can really like do the work here and like make myself better and whatever, but like $40,000? I don't know. Right. And you're going to lose everything. Like it's coming out that it was you and you're going to lose everything. Like oh, your yeah. family, your everything. I just can't. Yeah. But this was 1974. They wouldn't be getting him on DNA or credit card purchases. They couldn't prove where the cyanide had come from, and spoiler alert, they would never discover where he had gotten the cyanide from. They couldn't prove that Ronald had purchased it or laced the pixie sticks himself, and Ronald was insisting that he was innocent. They laid out all the evidence against him, but he still continued to deny it. But still, police had enough evidence to charge him with the murder, and Ronald entered a plea of not guilty. His story, and he was sticking to it, was that the poison candy had come from some sick person who was using Halloween as a cover to poison unsuspecting children. The urban legend had been around for years. So many people took it as fact that this is just something that happens on Halloween. People are sick. More on that later. 
At trial, he testified in his own defense, and he continued to deny that he'd had any part of this. But the prosecution had basically a revolving door of witnesses. They had friends, family members, and coworkers all testifying against him. They said he had a reputation as a liar. Even his wife, Daneen, testified against him and said she had no knowledge of his plan. She divorced him soon after the trial, and she's since been remarried and still lives in Pasadena. Mike Hinton was the Harris County District Attorney assigned to prosecute Ronald Clark O'Brien. 35 years after this case, he told a reporter, and I'm really just making up this accent, but I'm positive it's how he speaks. He said, I'll never get tired of talking about that sorry ass son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Add that to the repertoire. (laughs) At one point, you know, I just got one voice. I got one voice. (laughs) Bubba Bubba Terry. (laughs) Yeah. This guy. At one point during the trial, the courtroom was nearly empty, and Ronald turned to Hinton and offered him a Tootsie Roll. Hinton said he'll never forget it. Yeah, that feels weird. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? On June 3rd, 1975, it took the jury... How long do you think they deliberated? Mm, one hour. 46 minutes. Yes! It took the jury 46 minutes to return their verdict. Listen, it takes them that long to walk in, mm-hmm. take like roll, get the instructions, take a vote, and walk out. That's mm-hmm. 46 minutes. Mm-hmm. They found him guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. It took them another hour to decide Ronald's sentence. Execution <gasps> by electric chair. Oh, my gosh. That's the thing. Yeah. Texas. In the 70s, too. Yeah. So Ronald was sent to death row where he was known as a child killer. Not a great place to be known as a child killer. And apparently the other inmates gave him the nickname Candyman. Ew. And believe it or not, there are actually two men who have earned the moniker of the Candyman, both around the exact same time. And they were both from the same area of town. Well, listen, I don't want to be pointing fingers, but... I gave you my opinion on Deer Park at the very beginning. Well, this one was actually in Pasadena, like right well, next door. Okay. But there was serial killer Dean Coral in Pasadena, Texas, whose murders spanned the early 70s. And then this story that took place in Deer Park. And, you know, they're both suburbs of Houston, but I kind of even say like Deer Park is almost just a suburb of Pasadena. Like they're the same. That's right. They're like literally on top of each other. Like it's hard mm-hmm. to tell. Ronald, of course, went down every avenue of appeals open to him in our criminal justice system. Of I'm not going to go into all his appeals, but appeal after appeal was denied. Doesn't deserve it. He even got a couple stays of execution because actually during this time, the Supreme Court of like the United States had decided that the death penalty was unconstitutional. There was like a time where it was uh, unconstitutional, the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And so he kept using that in his appeals, like, hey, this is unconstitutional. So they kept, like, giving him stays of execution. But that went away. The death penalty was now back in business. And so after almost 10 years in prison, on March 31st, 1984, he had a last meal of a well-done steak and a Boston cream pie before he was executed. Well done? A well-done steak? Yes, a well-done steak, sir. Sir. You know that I used to not like steak at all. Like I would never because you eat thought it. that it was well done. Was well, that's all. That's the only way my family eats it. Like mm-hmm. well done. So I would like just pour like a whole bottle of mm-hmm. ranch over it to get through the meal. 
And then I started having mm-hmm. like actual steak. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I yeah I okay so I used to always order mine medium well that was how I just always ordered it and then one time I will never forget this I was with Stephanie at her parents house in Colorado and her dad was grilling steaks and she gets hers like medium rare that's how I asked for mine medium well and he mixed ours up and he gave me her medium rare and by the time she had taken one bite and realized she had the wrong steak I had eaten the whole thing (laughs) you're like (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) And he was like, oh, did I mix it? And he looked at me and I was like, I like medium rare steaks. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know. See, isn't it? Yes. And now, I, yeah, ever since then. And that was, I was like 24. <laughs> I like the whole time growing up, would because mm-hmm. we would do steaks for everyone's birthdays. And I would mm-hmm. be like trying to like eat it. And I'd be like not doing well. Like I was not happy. And I was like trying to yeah. like dip it in ranch. I was like, this is awful. I'm like going to be a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Yikes. I'm like, oh. Agreed. Not, not the myth. So, yeah, you eat your well done steak, okay? Well, yeah. Good for yeah. you. And I hope you didn't enjoy a bite of it. Yeah. yeah. I bet it sucked. I hope it sucked. I know it sucked. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, I'm positive it totally sucked. <laughs> yeah. By this time, the electric chair had been ruled by the Supreme Court to be cruel and unusual punishment. So he received lethal injection, which is supposed to be more humane. And we all certainly like to think so, but it's not. And I'll save my lethal injection soapbox because I've got another one coming up. I feel like we've (laughs) already heard it, though. Yeah, probably. Go listen to episode one. (laughs) (laughs) Two, three, and four, and five. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To present. The night of Ronald's execution, Mike Hinton, the, I can't Mm -hmm. stop talking about that, sorry, son of a bitch. (laughs) He went to his childhood home in Amarillo, took a boat out on a lake, and lifted a beer in celebration to Timothy. Oh. So at one of Ronald's appeals hearings, his defense attorney opened with this line. As you know, my client was convicted of killing Halloween, which to me sounds like someone at like an open mic night, not someone defending someone actually convicted of murdering their own child. Yeah, and like people care less about Halloween and more about the children. Right. But also, it's true. Like, people didn't go trick-or-treating in this area for years after this. And even today, the ripple effects of this case are still felt. Even though, fun fact, like, nobody knows this happened. Like, even people, I'm from this area. I tell people about this. They have no idea that this happened. So it's like... I didn't know about that. I just knew that no matter what, I couldn't have a piece of candy until I got home. And my mom went through all the candy. I didn't know why. I just thought that was like a thing. Right. And there had always been rumors about tainted candy being passed on on Halloween, even before this case. In fact, Ronald was probably betting on it as a way to get away with this crime. It just taps into this primal fear of people, and the stories were terrifying. But after this case, the rumors went wild. People heard a child had died from poisoned pixie sticks, and they're just ignoring the whole part about his dad being the one that gave it to him, not a house on his trick-or-treat route. And they were so scared that some psychotic neighbor of theirs was going to be passing out tainted candy. But this fear is not based on any evidence of this really happening. It's like so unlikely, it's almost statistically impossible. Or it actually is statistics. I'm not sure. I didn't take statistics, but it's a very (laughs) small amount. 40%. There is this other guy that knows. And his name popped up in literally every single article I read researching this case. Literally. His name is Joel Best, and he is the world's leading expert on candy tampering. Oh, uh, 
Yeah, uh, by world's leading expert, I'm going to assume world's only expert, expert. Yeah, on fair. candy tampering, who says his research goes all the way back to 1958, and he has been unable to find any evidence at all that any child has ever been killed or even seriously injured by a piece of candy that they got from trick-or-treating. None. Is that true? Ever. Yes. Do you remember this? According to the world's leading expert on candy tampering. I wonder, too, this was the thing. I don't know if this is from a movie or a rumor, too. So obviously my mom went through all the candy, but there was this idea of, like, razor blades in the candy. Is that from mm-hmm. the movie? Like, little, like, pieces of metal and like, the Tootsie mm-hmm. Rolls and stuff. I'm like, yes. that's probably just made up, too. I feel like that's in a movie, though. That happened. I'll go into – look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the oh. history of candy oh, tampering. Oh, all right? God. We'll go into it all. Oh. According to Joel Best, who's published several studies and books on this topic – There's Timothy books o- on this topic? Yes. Timothy O'Brien is the only confirmed death by poisoned candy, and he obviously didn't get it from some crazy child-hating Sanderson sister. This is a quote from a paper Best wrote. Halloween sadism can be viewed as an urban legend, which emerged during the early 1970s to give expression to growing fears about the safety of children, the danger of crime, and other sources of social strain. Urban legends, like collective behavior and social problems construction, are responses to social strain, shaped by the perception of the threat and the social organization. But like most urban legends, it spawns from a bit of truth. The first report of Halloween candy tampering seems to be from 1959. That Halloween, a California dentist named William Shine distributed 450 laxative-laced candies to children, 30 of whom got sick, and he was later charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs, but none of them were, like, harmed long-term, why seriously would, harmed. Why was that? Why did he do that? I don't know. That'd be fun. <laughs> Another high-profile case made headlines in 1964 when a 47-year-old mother from Greenlawn, New York, handed out bags of treats containing arsenic-laced ant traps, metal mesh scrubbing pads, and dog biscuits. She told police she didn't mean it maliciously. She was just annoyed by Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) ma'am. But the fear of Halloween candy got its first wind a few days before Halloween in 1970, when the New York Times printed an op-ed that suggested the possibility of strangers using Halloween as an opportunity to poison children, like we're all living three doors down from the witch in Hansel and Gretel. She gave a couple of unconfirmed cases as examples and then asked the rhetorical question of, if that plump red apple from that kindly old lady down the block may have a razor blade inside. Oh. And people just took that question as fact. But I mean, what... What a weird practice. Like, yeah. we could just go buy candy at the store, but instead we go buy candy at the store to give to all the other people that have bought candy at the store. And we have our kids doing it. I mean, it is a, <laughs> the weirdest thing. And yeah. around Halloween, we're going to charge $10 for the normal bag of $3 candy. Right, and right, And yeah. it's so weird. Like, why don't you just mm-hmm. buy your own kid their own candy? Because it's the experience. Most parents just take the candy away anyway, you know. That's true, yeah. It's just fun. It's just a fun little tradition. (laughs) I'll never forget the day. I believe this to be fact, that the day after Halloween, 
teaching is the worst. And I, you know, had kindergarten. Yes. And this, uh, I would have to go. I don't know if you have to do this. I'd have to be in the um, lunchroom with them for like the first five minutes of lunch, like getting them all set up, opening, whatever. Uh-huh. And this kid opened his lunch kit. And the only thing he had was a gallon bag of candy corn. What? Not only is that like a second rate, <laughs> that's like a third rate candy. But he just had a bag of candy corn as his meal. <laughs> so I was like, baby, go get in the lunch line. Here's a dollar twenty-five. Give me that back. <laughs> like oh my you cannot God. send your kid to school with a gallon bag of candy corn as their meal. Ugh, I hate <laughs> Halloween. It's my least favorite holiday. I love Halloween. Really? Ugh. I think it's fun. It's not fun for me. I don't like celebrate it anymore. Like I kind of wish I did, but like all my friends kind of have kids that are young and so they're kind of doing their own thing and but I think That's it's fun. fun. I try and yeah. like do stuff down. Like we carve pumpkins. We do a Harry Potter Mary, Mary, movie marathon. marathon. Uh-huh. But, you know. Like, yeah. I don't know. And it's usually October baseball, which, you know. Sure. I'm missing the game right now for this, so. Ooh, okay. Well, hurrying it up. <laughs> then two days later, after that op-ed had been posted, a five-year-old died on Halloween in Detroit <gasps> after consuming heroin. And his uncle told everyone that he'd gotten it from tainted candy, but it was later proven that the uncle had the heroin at his house and the kid had come into contact with it there. And then after Timothy O'Brien's death was reported in 1974, Newsweek printed that over the past several years, several children have died. Hundreds have narrowly escaped injury from razor blades, sewing needles and shards of glass put into their goodies by adults. They had absolutely zero evidence of these claims when they made them, and they just flat out didn't happen. No child has ever died or been seriously injured by Halloween candy, ever. Except by the 19 19- this guy, this kid. Yeah, that well, wasn't Halloween candy, but that wasn't Halloween candy. Yeah. That was candy from his dad that his dad poisoned and gave to him. It yeah. wasn't somebody like stranger trick-or-treating, right? Candy. Yeah. By the 1980s, communities across the country were banning trick-or-treating for nothing, for no reason. Maybe that's why places change the date to, like, really mess people up. Like, maybe your cyanide hasn't come in yet, so we're not trick-or-treating on the 31st. We're doing it on, like, the 28th, the 27th, you know? Maybe that's why places up here are changing the date. You're still going around and picking up candy from strangers. I know, but if you just surprise people and change the date, maybe there's cyanide <laughs> orders, you know. It's backed up. <laughs> Maybe so. Now, because in recent years we have found ourselves living in the darkest timeline, reports of tampered candy have gone up over the past couple of years. But by that, I mean between 2008 and 2019, there were four reported cases of candy tampering, and none of them resulted in major injury or death. In 2018, an 11-year-old was arrested for putting needles in candy bars. There have been several reports from different states, probably looking at you, Montana, of candy <laughs> laced with meth. <laughs> Sorry, Montana, but I know about your meth ads. All right, Bobby, Bobby Jerry. Bobby Jerry. But in almost every single case, the reports are isolated incidents. Like no one else in the area got meth laced candy except this one kid. And they've never been able to trace the candy back to the person that did it. And I, I just can't see anyone with access to meth or really any other drugs. Just wanting to give it to kids. Like, give it away to kids for free. Yeah. Like, or if they are that kind of psychopath, they don't even want to see the damage happen. Like, they're just, like, giving it out and then hoping for the best, like, hoping that it goes bad. Yeah. 
Like, they can't be guaranteed the kid will ever eat that piece of candy, so they don't even really get to know what happened, you know? Right. So all that said, check and make sure your kid isn't eating candy that's been stapled shut. But apart from that, you shouldn't have to worry every Halloween. Enjoy it. It's, it's a super weird, super fun little holiday. And that is the story of the man who ruined Halloween. Good for you, Louise. Who knew yeah. you're out there just rifling through all my candy <laughs> like a little raccoon, taking whatever you wanted. I just wanted that Reese's peanut butter cups. What? is some of your all-time, like, best Halloween costumes. Oh, okay. Snooky. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was Snooky for Halloween. Back when, like, Jersey Shore was, like, real big at the time, I, I see it. like, poofed up my hair, had a big, like, poof, you know? Mm-hmm. I got, like, dollars, giant sunglasses, and I hot-glued rhinestones covering the lenses because she had this picture of wearing, yeah. like, I know that. Rhinestone covered. Like, I couldn't see in them, obviously. Rhinestones are covering them. And I wore those all night. had a giant poof. Wore, like, little shorty short shorts and uh, a tube top and had a great time. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. We went to a bar, me and my friends. And uh, I was with, like, Stephanie, I'm sure. And we were talking to this guy. And he said he was from New Jersey. And Stephanie's like, oh, my friend is from Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? What part? And I just looked at him and I was like, uh... The shore. <laughs> the shore. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, oh, cool. Right on. And I'm like, I'm not getting this. it. <laughs> no. Yikes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. I, when, this is like when I was a kid. Mm. This was not when I was a kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. You should clarify that. Maybe we were in junior high. This is one of my favorites. We were Sonic car hops on skates. We oh, did rollerblades. Fun. We had like a little tray. So we got like really, we hit all the houses because we were like just speeding by people. And then in high school, during the election, I went as George W. Bush. I had the mask and everything. I think I have photos oh of God. that. And um, <laughs> my best friend went as John Kerry. And so it was fun though because people were like, everyone was like wanting to take pictures with us. We were like stopping, taking pictures with people. <laughs> It was fun. We were like in a suit and tie and we just had their masks. Oh, fun. That was a good time. I have those photos. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good good. Uh, Well, happy Halloween-y. Happy Happy one-year anniversary, Creepers Club. Happy one-year anniversary. Yeah. Hit us up with some of your favorite Creepers memories, episodes, content. I would love it. Love yeah, to see it. Good on memory. I loved all the answers to that question. They just mm-hmm. like made my day. I just kind of needed that like boost of serotonin. Yeah, it is fun. Yes. Okay. Well, that's all I have for today. Thanks for well, going on this crazy ride with me. I cannot wait. I, I, I still remember a year ago, I had no idea that we would be here in a year. And same. I, <laughs> like, we started our Patreon. That was so exciting. 55 episodes, two bonus episodes. We're going to be together soon, too. And we're going to be together soon in December. And if you would like to sponsor a $5 picture of Sangria to help us celebrate, let us know. Join our Patreon. (laughs) Join our Patreon, yeah. Fine. All right. So the thank yous. Thank you so much for listening, everybody out there. Thank you for listening for a whole year, if you have been. Yes. Thank you for listening. And here's to a whole nother year. No. Uh, okay. Yes. Several. Here's to another. I got a, I got a five-year plan. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to go five years. 
You can find us on socials, all of them, mostly. Except, Except for the TikTok. TikTok. We're not on the TikTok. <laughs> we can't TikTok. do it. We're a lurker right now. I'm just a lurker. I, uh, you can yeah. find us on the Twitter and the Instagram and at Creepers Pod. Join our Facebook discussion group. I'm telling you, my God, is the content <laughs> not just like ridiculous? What's even happening in there? What is happening? It's a, it's a beautiful disaster. It is. Uh, I'm in so the best way. Glad. Like in yeah. the best way. It's really so great. come join us. You can find some Dolly Possum water. Waffle House mm-hmm. nonsense going on. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogap another wild story. Wild. Bye, peeps and creeps. <laughs> <laughs>